This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Burst buffers accelerate scientific discovery at NERSC this week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. In this special sponsored episode of This Week in HPC, I'll be talking about burst buffers together with my guest, Debbie Bard, who's the big data architect at the National Energy Research Scientific Computing Center, better known as NERSC at Lawrence Berkeley Labs. Debbie, thanks for joining me. Hi, it's nice to be here. And also on the line, I've got Mark Wirtala, who's the Product Marketing Director in the Storage Solutions team at Cray. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome, Addison. Thanks for the invitation. So today I want to talk about this concept of of burst buffers and and what they're doing with scientific research. But first, Debbie, let's catch up on NERSC in general. This is a major uh, supercomputing site in the U.S. here. And for starters, what are some of the new things that you have going on in the world of supercomputing at NERSC? So our mission at NERSC is to support scientific research that's being funded by the Department of Energy. Um, we support something like 6,000 scientists um, in, the UK, in the US um, and around the world. Um, and so we're really pushing uh, the cutting edge of scientific supercomputing in support of that mission. So uh, the most exciting news coming out of NERSC in the last um, year or so is that we've just um, gotten a new supercomputer called Cori. Um, this is the fifth fastest supercomputer in the world. Um, we're very proud of it uh, and the work that we're able to do with it. Uh, so Cori has uh, the Intel Knights Landing architecture, the many core architecture, which is um, giving a lot of compute power to scientists. And the reason why we're excited about this is this means that um, our scientific users can run larger simulations. Um, they can process more data. Um, they can scale up their science problems in a way that just wasn't possible before with smaller machines. We've talked a lot about Cori on this podcast before, and, and it is a, a big advancement in computing. And, of course, people talk a lot about the computational power of the system. But, Debbie, uh, you know, you're a big data architect. One of the major HPC trends we've been tracking across the whole industry is the increasing import, importance of data movement and, and I.O. performance. How do you see those cropping up at NERSC in this context? Yeah, we we actually have a lot of demand from our users um, for improved I.O. The first thing that they always ask for is more compute time, of course. Uh, But the second uh, most common demand is for improved I.O. And this is particularly becoming relevant as uh, we have larger supercomputers. As scientists can scale up the problems that they're tackling, um, this means that they are creating more data or that they're processing larger volumes of data. And I.O. can really become a bottleneck for them. Um, and we found that some of our some scientists are writing code to mitigate this problem uh, themselves. So, for example, they might be running a very large-scale simulation, but to avoid spending all their time in I.O., so avoid spending all their time writing out uh, checkpoint files or data files, they write out lower-resolution data. They're limiting the amount of science that they're doing to avoid these I.O. problems. So this is really an issue for us. We really don't want our scientists to be uh, worrying about this so much. So we're, we're trying to um, do what we can to improve um, IO performance on our machines. 
Which is really exactly to the point of why the I.O. matters to scientific performance. Now, Mark, Cray, of course, is a, is a leader in supercomputing. And a lot of people, again, with Cray, associate the brand to the computing side of that equation. You think about the massive supercomputers or the custom interconnects. But Cray has also been innovating on the storage side, which includes the data warp storage solution. So how is data warp responding to these customer needs as you hear them from NERSC? Well, Addison, data warp really resonates with three basic customer needs. Uh, one of them is time to insight. The formula is pretty simple. If you can reduce the idle time while the application is waiting for data to get to the place it's supposed to be, you can increase the utilization and that drives uh, faster application and faster scientific discovery. A second is budget. Uh, risk buffers allow customers to separate the requirements from, for performance from capacity. And it's kind of like horses for courses, flash for performance, hard drives for capacity. And the blending of these two technologies uh, actually allows us to drive down acquisition costs and TCO for our customers. And then the third category is usability. No two applications are the same. So the ability to customize a burst buffer for a unique application is really critical and valuable. Additionally, the next application in the queue will be different than the one before it. So the ability for a burst buffer to be dynamic is also very valuable. And when it's all said and done, integrating the burst buffer in with the job scheduler or the thing we call workload manager uh, drives up productivity for the scientists, for the end user, and for the administrator. So, Debbie, this concept of a burst buffer, this is definitely something we've been talking about in the industry as a, as a methodology for alleviating data bottlenecks, improving performance for IO-sensitive applications. And NERSC has been one of the customers of this data warp architecture. Are you finding the promise of that application acceleration uh, as promised in your workloads? Uh, yes, we are. And it's largely as a result of a very successful partnership that we've had with Cray um, developing um, the data warp um, product for our systems and our needs. Um, we have, as I mentioned before, a lot of scientists who run on our um, on our machines. There's something like 700 different projects. Each have very different um, code base, very different science problems, and very different I/O problems that they're facing. So we've worked very closely with Cray to uh, develop new features um, in Data Warp and to really optimize um, performance for all the little um, strange corner cases that we have um, for the codes that run on our machines. So it's not just um, an IO accelerator for um, codes that are writing out large data files or large checkpoint files, which is sort of a traditional usage for a burst buffer. But we have um, codes, for example, uh, genome assembly codes that have lots of very small amounts of data, lots of small files that they uh, need to read in um, and process. So there's very small random IO patterns, uh, which is uh, often a problem um, on if you're trying to do that kind of IO pattern on spinning disk. Um, and we found that the burst buffer is fantastic for that kind of IO pattern as well. So we're seeing a pretty solid sort of four to five times speed up uh, for IO in most of our user loads, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less, uh, depending on the exact parameters of the problem. Um, but we're seeing a real significant improvement um, in the uh, time to discovery for our scientists as a result of, of using the burst buffer. 
Yeah, Mark, Debbie touched on a couple of different things here. This this small random I.O. for application acceleration is kind of this classic uh, use case that people talk about for burst buffers now. But she touched on a couple of other things like uh, checkpointing. I mean, what or, or Cray is talking about some of the other benefits of burst buffers uh, and some of the other use cases, right? Yeah, um, burst buffer solves the primary problem. Uh, it, it's a performance tier between the data-hungry compute nodes and the parallel file system and disk. But you know, now we've got this high-performance resource that sits much closer to the compute network, um, or in the case of data warp specifically, it's actually on the compute fabric. So you know, a customer started asking, "What else can I use this for?" And we see a couple of trends developing. Um, one of them is they like to leverage the fact that they can work with flash technology. So they use it to solve problems like out of memory conditions uh, for the compute node. Um, a lot of customers are using it as a high performance local scratch, you know, storage that rocks literally. And um, another mindset is leveraging the data proximity to, uh, to the, the compute fabric. And the, the thinking is that it's, it's a workflow of applications and I can reduce the latency, therefore I can reduce the idle time um, for the application and between the applications themselves. So a classic example would be a workflow like a, a simulation uh, following uh, a visualization stage, finally with an encoding stage. And the whole while the data remains resident in the, the burst buffer, so it reduces the latency for the, uh, the creation of the data and for the handoff to the next stage in the workflow. Now, Debbie, the big thing that occurs to me anytime we get into a big discussion of storage architecture is one of usability. And something that intrigued me about your background in all of this is is your background is actually a lot more science than computer science. Your, your background is in particle physics and cosmology. So how usable do you, do you find this? Is this something that the scientists are, are readily able to implement, bringing burst buffers into the workflow so you really get that application acceleration for scientific discovery? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, a lot of the scientists who use our facilities are also not computing engineers, um, and some of them don't have strong computer science background. Um, what they're expert in is, is the science problem that they're trying to tackle. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that uh, the burst buffer was going to be easy to use for them. They didn't have to um, work with a very complex API and this is something that they could really just drop into their code and have um, and get the benefits of the IO performance. And so this is somewhere where the integration of data warp with our workload manager is really important. So we use Slurm um, for our workload manager on our supercomputers. Um, and just by adding a couple of lines uh, to the job submission script um, in Slurm, then scientists can uh, can get access to the burst buffer without having to alter their application code at all. And that's something that's been um, a real advantage uh, for people not having to um, rewrite their code from scratch to take advantage of this. Well, and one thing's for sure is the requirements don't hold still in, in this industry at all. And, you know, Mark, how, how do you see this rolling forward on the roadmap into the future? Well, there's a, there's a couple of themes that are evolving from the minds of our you know most forward thinkers in the data warp community. Uh, the two that are probably clearest at this point are interactive workflows and in transit. Um, in the case of interactive workflows, you know we're used to thinking about 
scientific computing and a, a batch kind of philosophy. But the, the evolving mindset is more of uh, simulate, analyze, and then iterate so that it becomes um, uh, less batch oriented, more ongoing. And this leverages the low latency of the flash technology to make, to make this work. Uh, this second theme, I'll, I'll call it, is in transit, and that's a step towards the nirvana of in situ analysis. And this really leverages the residency of data upon a compute resource. If we've got the data in the burst buffer and the burst buffer is a compute resource, wouldn't it be awesome if we could literally run the analysis application inside the burst buffer while the data is resident? And that furthermore reduces the data movement and reduces latency. And we see this as evolving into a key theme across our, uh, across our customer base. Well, Mark, you're getting all sciencey talking about this revolution in uh, in situ and this nirvana that we're headed towards. Are we going to sanity check that against NERSC? I mean, Debbie, this is this is the direction it's going. You know, how how does this actually unlock more scientific discovery in the future? Uh, in the past year or so, we've had an early user program um, of a select group uh, of NERSC users who have quite a diverse range of science applications um, and we were working with these users with these scientists and with Cray to make sure that their codes and their IO patterns and their science was really benefiting from the burst buffer um, and we've just recently um, opened the um, burst buffer to all our science users so I'm quite excited to see what other corner cases we're going to come up with um, or we have other scientists who are running codes that really push the burst buffer in in new directions one thing that I'm particularly excited about getting developed is this idea of streaming data into the burst buffer. So we have a number of um, uh, experimental sites that we work with who stream their data to NERSC in order to do real-time uh, analysis, in order to do real-time analysis of their experimental data. And so they can have some real-time feedback on how the experiment's going um, without having to you know, wait until they finish the experiment, take the data away with them analyze things and realize there was something wrong with their setup in the first place. Having some real-time feedback uh, on, their on their experiment is really important. And so we're working on streaming data from these experiments directly into the burst buffer um, rather than staging it in some um, uh, somewhere else. Um, so we're working to stream the data directly into the burst buffer, which is really going to improve um, the turnaround for these experiments uh, who have this real-time requirements. I think that's going to be really cool, seeing how um, seeing how that can affect the scientific discovery. But really, um, into the future, the most important thing for us um, at NERSC is that we have limited amount of compute time that we can offer to the scientists who use our facilities. It's not infinite, it's a bounded amount of time and we really want to make sure that they get the most out of that time. So for us having a faster IO um, through the burst buffer means that scientists can just get more science done and that's our entire mission as a DOE computing facility is to help the scientists um, make the most of their time with us. We've been talking with Mark Wirtala, Product Marketing Director at Storage Solutions Team at Cray, and Debbie Bard, Big Data Architect at NERSC, about burst buffers accelerating scientific discovery. Mark, Debbie, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research. Actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. 
For more information, visit intersect360.com.